Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. All right, everybody, welcome back. Welcome back to this here podcast. It isn't, it, isn't it great to be back on the podcast where TLDR does not apply and the study of history is a way of life? I like it. I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy that you're here, as always. Um, I'm very grateful that people take the time to listen to the message from the Founding Fathers and these letters that they have, the letters that they wrote. It's a, it's a great thing that we spend our time, a little bit of time every week, doing this um, so that we can get the message. We can, we can take in the lessons of the Founding Fathers, and boy, do we have some good lessons today. This is going to be a podcast episode. Some some will really, really like it, and some will really, really hate it, probably. But it, it's a good message on how a tyrant starts a war. Again, we're, we're you know, 1774 to 75 is that lead up to the war. That's why I chose that time period to start in, is it's not too far back, and it's not after the important things that led up to it. We have to study the lead up to the war as much as anything else to understand why it started in the first place. You can't start studying the Founding Fathers from 17, July 4th to 76 forward. Uh, it's, things aren't going to make any sense. So that's why we spend so much time back here in 74 to 75. And we're going to talk a lot about King George III today and, and something that he did that really was the final nail in the coffin of this um, peacetime period in the colonies and, and the beginning of the war. And at the, en- at the end of this episode, you know, we're also going to have some reviews that I'm going to read uh, to you folks. Uh, we've had a few people roll into the Apple podcasts and leave a review. I'll cover a few of those. But again, this this time period, this episode is going to be a fairly dark episode. It's gonna it's gonna be a very lengthy discussion on how important it is to to learn the lessons from King George the Third and the things that he did to set things in motion and the way that the founding fathers reacted to it and the things that were necessary as a result of it, and how, how this kind of stuff continues to happen again and again throughout history. Uh, this, this thing that we're going to talk about today isn't the first time this has happened in history, and it wasn't the last, and it won't be the last. We haven't seen the end of these things yet. We never will for 5,000 years. I, gar- I guarantee if the world continues on for 5,000 more years, these lessons are going to be applicable then, just like they are today. Because... This relationship between people and government, and specifically these tyrants who get out of control drunk on power, there's never going to be an end to them. Because the world is the world and people are people. These things just never seem to end. Sad commentary, but that's the way that it is. So bear with me on this episode as we go through the darkness before we get to the light. So let's get into some very interesting commentary from somebody writing a letter to uh, Benjamin Franklin on what exactly the king is up to. What is King George III doing? Let's find out right now. All right. This is going to be a uh, fascinating episode for sure. I think this is going to be one of those one of those episodes that could be a love-hate, perhaps. I, I don't know. So, some folks are going to like it, and some people are probably really going to hate it. Um, it's we're we're gonna we're gonna dial on the uh, the reality of the situation here pretty thick today. I'm not gonna hold back on my my thoughts and my opinions about what it is the Founding Fathers are going to write about in these letters. And we're actually also going to go to an order from the king, from the court of St. James, that has a very real message of how the king is preparing for war against his own people. 
And, you know, this is serious business. I try to stress this whenever we talk about it. What we are going to hear in this episode is going to be the actions of a tyrant king, a despot, a dictator, an oppressor, who is literally preparing to launch a war against his own people. How many times has this happened in history, where the leader of a nation has literally declared war on his own people? Many, many, many times. How many times is it that the military of a country, of a nation, of an empire, has been used to murder, kill, and destroy that nation's own people? Many times. In the United States and in the Western world, generally speaking, we have gotten comfortable. We have gotten confused about the true nature of the world. When these things happen, they are often brutal, bloody, and they sometimes go on for years and years and years. The murderous rage of a tyrannical dictator drunk on power is a story as old as time itself, practically. It probably goes back at least five, ten thousand years, something like that. It goes back to the when the first governments were formed, the first warlords took over some particular group of people and felt like they could control them. They had domain over them. They that the people didn't they weren't allowed to live free. And I think on that sometimes, how many millions of people have been murdered by their own government? And the answer is a lot. And, you know, it reminds me of a story, you know, not really a story, but just kind of a factoid, if you will. Somebody once said in a lecture that I was listening to that most of the famines in recent centuries have been caused by government. Most famines have been caused by government. And I thought about that, and I actually, I actually tried to think of some of the big famines in, in the history, in, in the well, not in the whole history of the world, but in the last hundred, hundred and fifty years or so. And honestly, I could not prove that person wrong. I thought about it quite a bit, and you, you can one way or another link most of the famines, if not all of the famines that have taken place over the last hundred to hundred and fifty years, directly to government. One of the worst was in Ukraine under Stalin, one hundred percent caused by government, and here we are again. My, 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 how history repeats itself. You know, and here we here we go again, diving into history to learn a little bit more about that particular fact. History repeats itself. And this is going to be a this is going to be a tough podcast for some folks to listen to. But um, I would uh, encourage you to stick with me on this one. So with that introduction out of the way, I mean, if that doesn't if that doesn't let you know how uh, how dark this episode is going to be, I I don't know what will. Um, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. I mean, just bear with me through these early days of the war. And obviously, this is just before the war gets really started. But these are dark times in the history of the the, the British Empire, frankly. These are very dark times. And this isn't going to be happy. This isn't going to be a happy podcast for at least the next year or so. Uh, and I know that's a long time. You know, oh my gosh, is this podcast going to go on for you? It's going to go on for a heck of a lot longer than a year if I have anything to say about it. Because it's it's a comprehensive reading of the letters from our founding fathers. It's just going to take time. And this is a, this is a dark period. And some folks, ha I think sometimes folks uh, don't stick with the podcast because of that. They want something to cheer up, cheer themselves up. They want something a little happy-go-lucky in their day. But part of our responsibility as citizens of the United States, and if you're from a different country, part of the responsibility of being a productive member of your society, wherever that may be, is paying attention to the darkness and understanding the dangers within and trying to defend our, our various societies from that darkness. And to, to understand it, you have to look into it and hope that um, you can you can maintain your, your values and your morals while you do it. So let's get into it. The first letter that we're going to read is a very interesting letter written to Benjamin Franklin from Thomas Cushing on December 30th of 1774, approximately, apparently. 
And I quote, I have lately been favored with a copy of Lord Dartmouth's circular letter to the governors of the respective colonies upon this continent, wherein he informs them that His Majesty has thought fit by his order in council of the 19th October 1774 to prohibit the exportation from Great Britain of gunpowder or any sort of arms or ammunition, and that is His Majesty's command that they take the most effectual measures for arresting, detaining, and securing any gunpowder or any sort of arms or ammunition which may be attempted to be imported into the province under their government, unless the master of the ship, having such military stores aboard, shall produce a license from His Majesty or the Privy Council for the exportation of the same from some of the ports of Great Britain. End quote. The game is afoot, ladies and gentlemen. Now we are getting to something here, aren't we? And we're going to get back to the restriction on ammunition here in a second. But I thought about this uh, license. Shall produce a license from His Majesty, it says. These, uh, these people shipping items of, of you know, gunpowder and so on and so forth from out of Great Britain, for the most part, to the colonies. That's what this is meant to, uh, to address. That's interesting in and of itself. This, uh, this topic of requiring a license to transport. It's a restriction of sorts meant to curtail people's ability to obtain these particular items with which they may defend themselves. Defend themselves from what? Defend themselves from frontier attacks, Indian tribes... Uh, like a French and Indian War type situation, perhaps. But I think the king's intentions here is to pre is to prevent the people of the Americas from defending themselves from their own military. Th that would be the British military. King George III does not want the people in America, his subjects, by the way, to defend themselves from their own military. That's interesting. And that's if you if you look back through history, that's typically the case. Tyrants typically do not want the people to be able to defend themselves. That's not something that interests the tyrant, because the tyrant, in order to attack the people such as they want to do in times past, and honestly in, in the world today at times, the last thing in the world they want is the people to be able to defend themselves. Just just food for thought. I mean, the, the, like I said, you know, the people of Tiananmen Square that morning after, they couldn't shoot back. So the Chinese military was able to, you know, gun them down with AK-47s, AK-74s, whatever they were rolling with at the time. I don't know exactly what the Chinese military had equipped at the time. Something of that nature, I'm sure. And let's be realistic, you know, the Warsaw Ghetto. The Warsaw Ghetto in Poland, 1939-1940. It's really hard to round people up and put them in a ghetto like that if they can shoot back. I mean, if they're armed to the teeth with firearms. And it's not like the people in the Warsaw Ghetto would have been able to defeat the German army. That's not the point. But at least they would have been able to die on their feet instead of in a cattle car on their way to Auschwitz. Yes, I said it. And I'm sure if those people had to do it all over again, they would have rather probably died on their feet than in a cattle car or in the uh, the gas chambers of Auschwitz. And some of them did die on their feet, actually. There was a little bit of a, a rebellion uh, there in the Warsaw Ghetto. I, I believe it was called the Warsaw Uprising. And I don't, I don't know if it's Auschwitz or Treblinka. I forget exactly the extermination camp that most of them were being shipped to. Probably Treblinka, uh, perhaps. If I, I'm trying to remember from, from history, but, uh, you know, I'm pulling from memory here, so bear with me. But, um, you know, they did manage to sneak some weapons into the Warsaw Ghetto, but frankly speaking, it was a joke. I mean, at one point in time, I think the there, there were there was hundreds of thousands, I think, of Jews that were caught up in the Warsaw Ghetto situation, I think, uh, overall. And if they were all armed to the teeth, I mean, sure, the German army would have eventually overpowered them. It would have been a heck of a fight, though. I mean, the Germans would have lost... I mean, if it went building by building, street by street, the Germans would have lost a lot of soldiers in the process. It would have been a freaking bloodbath. And at the end of the day, you know, all the, most of the Jews would have been wiped out, but... Um, 
Didn't that happen anyway? And how many Germans did they take with them? Not nearly enough. And that's just a lesson from history, and I think Europe has forgotten that, unfortunately. Uh, for all our listeners to this podcast in, in Europe, you know, I mean, it, I don't know how it is that Europe forgot that lesson so quickly, but they did. It's almost a, a recognizable societal phenomenon, how, how a group of people can so quickly forget history. And some people in Europe are gonna, over there are probably going to leave a nasty review on the podcast and be like, Oh my gosh, Roman, how dare you? How dare you say that we have forgotten that history? Well, I don't know. I just look at, your, I just look at what's going on in Europe right now, and I think to myself, hmm. They've completely forgotten the history behind that. Anyway, so I say, I, I give you that lesson to say to you again, tyrants, like Ger whether it's Germany in the 1930s or 40s, or their invasion of Poland, or whether it's King George III, or whether it's Ivan the Terrible, or whatever, they don't want you to be able to shoot back, because they want to be able to round you up into the Warsaw Ghetto. They want to send the Oprichniki into every town and every village, whether it be in Russia or wherever, to massacre and murder as many people as will satisfy the tyrant. It's what they want to do. Saddam Hussein did it. The Kurds in the north, etc. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Yet people always believe it'll never happen in their country. Oh, no, this is, this is France. It'll never happen here. Oh, really? Or, oh no, this is, this is Britain, it'll never happen here. Oh really? And that's interesting because it has happened before in Britain, England, back in the day. Again, my, 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 how these lessons get forgotten over time. So again, in 1774, we have another tyrant, in a long list of tyrants going back 10,000 years, doing this same kind of crap all over again. And my question is, is when the heck is the world going to learn the lesson? I don't know. It's a mystery to me. Quote, shall produce a license from his majesty, end quote. Mmm. Mmm. Boy, let me tell you. A license from his majesty. Well, you know, my thought on this is this. You know, when his majesty decides to require people to obtain a license for the, the transport of arms with which the people can use to defend themselves against, whether it be frontier incursions, war from a foreign power like the French and Indian War type situation, or from their own British military, my thought is, you know, his majesty can go pound sand. I don't give a crap what his majesty or any other tyrant has to say about the matter, and we're going to find out here in these letters that the Founding Fathers believed exactly the same thing. Let us continue. And I am going to read, because it references this order, if you, if, you, uh, if you heard that. Quote, I have lately been favored with a copy of Lord Dartmouth's circular letter of the governors of the respective colonies upon this continent, wherein he informs them that his majesty has thought fit by his order in council of the 19th October 1774 to prohibit the exportation from Great Britain of gunpowder, end quote. Hmm. Okay, so let's go read another order. This isn't the order of April the 19th. This is basically the follow-on order, which references that one. And it, it paints a better picture for you. I could have read both orders to you, but I decided to pick just the one for time. And you'll, you'll get the idea in this one. This is basically an order in council at the Court of St. James on April the 5th, 1775. That's an interesting date. It's literally just before the war started. A couple of weeks. Interesting. Good timing on this order, huh? And it says, Present the King's Most Excellent Majesty in Council. And the body of the, the order says this, quote, Whereas the time-limited... By His Majesty's order in Council of the 19th of October last, for the prohibiting, prohibiting the exporting out of this kingdom or carrying coastwise gunpowder or any sorts of arms or ammunition will expire upon the 19th of April. And whereas it is judged expedient that the said prohibition should be continued for some time longer, 
His Majesty doth therefore, by and with the advice of his Privy Council, hereby command that no person or persons whatsoever do at any time during six months to commence from the said 19th instant presume to transport into any parts out of this kingdom or carry coastwise any gunpowder or any sort of arms or ammunition or ship or laid any gunpowder or any sort of arms or ammunition on board any ship or vessel in order to transport the same into any parts beyond the seas of carrying the same coastwise without leave or permission first obtained from his majesty or his privy council, upon pain of incurring and suffering the respective forfeitures and penalties inflicted by an act passed in the twenty-ninth year of his late majesty's reign entitled, an act to empower his majesty to prohibit the exportation of saltpeter, end quote. That's a complicated order. They did write very eloquently out of the court of St. James in 1775, didn't they? Now, there was a date cited in this order. Did anybody pick up on that? And do you think it's a coincidence? I'll read it to you again. Quote, for the prohibiting the exporting out of this kingdom or carrying coastwise gunpowder or any sorts of arms or ammunition will expire upon the 19th of April, end quote. The 19th of April. What is the significance of that date? We've talked about it before. That is the day the war started. The war officially starts with Great Britain, effectively, on that day. Is that a coincidence? Seriously, it's something to stew on. And it kind of goes to the planning of the king of Great Britain. Was this man planning for war with the colonies? Frankly speaking, the presence of that date, 19th of April, 1775, by the way, is the year that they're referring to, because this letter, this order was given in the, on the 5th day of April in 1775. I believe, whether, whether it's somewhat coincidental or not, that the war started on that date, I really do believe that all of this, the requiring of a license, the, the barring of the export of saltpeter, a.k.a. gunpowder, and so on and so forth, the king amongst other things, turning Boston into a garrison city, sending mass numbers of troops into Boston in preparation for what, exactly? All of that was the king preparing for war. Now, you can disagree with me if you want to, but there is a tyrant is never going to come out and make a formal declaration, I, de I hereby declare war on my own people and will henceforth issue orders to the military to go about the countryside murdering, raping, pillaging, and illegally seizing property. That's never going to happen. What's going to happen is, is this is going to happen inside of the quiet chambers of the Privy Council, and it's going to happen inside the court of the tyrant king, or whatever dictator, despot, tyrant there is since the, since the beginning of government in this world. That's how it happens. You know, just like, you know, SS leader Heinrich Himmler did not stand on a podium inside of the Warsaw Ghetto declaring to those people that he was going to have them shipped to Treblinka, most of them killed in either gas chambers, firing squad, or some other brutal kind of torture, and the rest were going to slowly starve or, starve or be worked to death. He didn't do that. It was a little more subtle than that. So if you're expecting alarm bells to go off, the sirens to sound, and some formal declaration of war to come down from the tyrant to the people so that you have time to prepare to defend yourself against your nation's own military before they decide to kill you, it's not going to happen. It's going to happen exactly like it did on April 19th of 1775. With little or no warning, a military column will march out of the city, under the cover of darkness probably, and they will head out to assault and molest the people and their property who are doing nothing but minding their own business in the countryside. And they will shoot, they will murder, they will kill, 
They will torture to whatever extent the tyrant feels necessary to do whatever the heck it is that he's doing for no other reason than he's just bored on a Friday afternoon. And I'm dead serious when I say that. And this order, out of the court of St. James, from King George III and his Privy Council, is a preparation for war. As surely as the Japanese planning of the bombing of Pearl Harbor was a preparation for war. As surely as German troop movements along their eastern border with Russia right before Operation Barbarossa was a preparation for war. This, ladies and gentlemen, is preparation for war. So the government here, the British government, is trying to shut out supplies of powder, or at least greatly limit the access to guns and powder, more specifically gun, powder and arms, ammunition, to the general population of America. I want you to pay close attention to that. This is the British government trying to limit or greatly curtail access to powder and ammunition in America. Does that sound familiar to you? I'm not going to paint with too broad a brush here, but what I am going to do is is try to get you thinking about things. Now, sometimes, you know, I, I often wonder sometimes if King George III, when he set down this road, did he really fully understand what he was getting himself into? I think he did. Based on troop movements, what was going on in Boston, under General Gage, this particular order right here, I think he did. I, th I think, well, I don't know if he knew exactly what he was getting, what he, I don't, I don't know if he was, he knew he was shaking up a hornet's nest, but he certainly knew what he was doing on his end of things. He knew that he was going to try to assault the people in America. And he probably thought, you know, he was going to have, he was going to put the people in America in their place. He didn't, because the American people were ready for him. As we've read about from the letters from John Adams, there were, uh, Orders that went out to the, the respective militias in Massachusetts and honestly all of New England for the most part uh, to prepare for such an event like this because the people saw it coming. I mean, you can't see troop movements like what they saw and not, be, not know that something is coming. But history does repeat itself, ladies and gentlemen. And this is a dangerous game to play when tyrant kings decide to declare war on their own people. It, it doesn't typically end well. It really doesn't. And, you know, and I, I've given you some examples, whether it's Ivan the Terrible. A lot of people don't know the full story of Ivan the Terrible. They know he was terrible because they know the name Ivan the Terrible, but they don't understand why and to what extent. That man was a murderous, unbelievable homicidal maniac who I, I, I can only imagine got some sick joy out of murdering his own people. And Germany in the 1930s and 40s, you know, don't even get me started. And it wasn't just the poor people in Poland he went after either. It was his own people in Germany and in Austria that he decided to go after. In many respects. And the various kings of England, going back to time and memorial, have done this kind of thing. Not all of them, but a great many of them have. History repeats itself. This is how wars get started. And this is how many tens of thousands of people die. If not more than that. Hundreds of thousands sometimes. Millions of people die. This is nothing to take lightly. And as I've said before, you know, comfort and prosperity have a way of distracting people from this kind of thing. Um, you know... Polite society today doesn't believe that this kind of thing can happen again. Just like that. There are a lot of people, you know, in Europe in recent months who didn't think that an invasion from Russia could happen again. Here we are. I mean, what's the number? Ukraine is losing something like one to 200 soldiers per day every day. Lessons learned, people. So let us continue with this letter. I'm going to go back to the letter from... Uh, Thomas Cushing to Benjamin Franklin. We're still on that one, uh, dated December 30th, 1774, approximately. Quote, 
The colonies apprehend this political maneuver of the ministry forebodes the most vigorous exertions of martial force. They are therefore adopting the most effectual methods to defend themselves against any hostile invasions of the enemies to America. I am informed that the people of Rhode Island, having in consequence of this intelligence been alarmed with the same apprehensions, have removed the powder guns cannon, and other military stores from the fort at the entrance of their harbor into their country where they are safely lodged, and that the people at Portsmouth in New Hampshire have done the like by their cannon and other military stores at the fort at Newcastle at the entrance of their harbor, end quote. So the tyrant wants to take the, the ammunition and the powder away from the people. The people see this happening, so they begin to prepare, prepare for it. They protect their arms. They protect their stores of gunpowder, their cannon, etc., isn't that interesting? What are the people doing with cannons? Quote, The people of Rhode Island, having in consequence of this intelligence been alarmed with the same apprehensions, have removed the powder, guns, cannon, and other military stores from the fort at the entrance of their harbor into the country where they are safely lodged, end quote. What in the world are the people of Rhode Island doing with cannon and other military stores? And how are they able to move them? Without the king's permission? Did they get the governor's permission? What's the story behind that? Interesting. But quite clearly, the colonists see what's coming. Quote, The colonies apprehend this political maneuver of the ministry forebodes the most vigorous exertions of martial force, end quote. You know, that's a quite elegant uh, 1774 way of saying they are going to be attacked by their own military. The military's coming for them. They call it vigorous exertions of military force. I call it a declaration of war, to put it bluntly. And that's exactly what it is. So the colonies think this restriction on guns and powder to be a prelude to martial force, a.k.a. war. And, you know, I would say this is really, again, just history playing out as history does. This kind of thing has happened before. This wasn't the first time, and it won't be the last that this happens. The more things change, people think, you know, oh my gosh, this is 2022. This is the modern world. Everything's modern. Everything's so nice. Everything, oh, technological information age, internet, blah, 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 blah. This is the same kind of crap. I don't care what age you live in. I don't care what time of day it is. I don't care what the calendar says. This happens over and over again. These are the lines of war being drawn. You got the people of Rhode Island on the one hand who are moving their stores out of their fort near the, near the harbor, where they're more vulnerable, and into the countryside where they can better protect them. Protect them from whom? Well, protect them from their own government, that's who. That's sad commentary, but it's true. Because King George III has felt it necessary, effectively, to lay down war preparations against his own people, so the people of Rhode Island are just doing what they're supposed to do. They're defending themselves. They're preparing for their own defense. I'm sure there was some joker in, in, the, in the American colonies in 1774. There was pro actually, as a matter of fact, I know that there were. There was probably a bunch of them saying, oh, this is 1774, we have our rights, we're British subjects, the king would never do anything like that. This is the modern age, this is 1774, look at the, look at, this is the new world. This is, this isn't the old world back there in Europe, this is the new world. These things can't happen anymore. This, these things don't happen here. They've never happened here, it can't happen here, this is America. This stuff isn't gonna happen to us. And then, fast forward four months. And there's an all-out war. Four months, ladies and gentlemen. 
These people went, so the, the people who were burying their head in the sand, and you got to know that they were there on December 30th, 1774, saying exactly that. In four months' time, they went from burying their head in the sand to watching the British military be unleashed against the American colonists. British subjects. Four months. What were you doing four months ago? Can you remember that far back? I can. That's how quick. That's how quick this can happen. And honestly, you know, if I were, if I were in Taiwan right now, I would be thinking real long and hard about this. Taiwan, are you listening? You know, and I firmly believe that these actions that have been set in motion here by King George III, at this point, once the king decided to make this particular, take this particular action, the final piece was set in motion. It started with the Intolerable Acts. That was really the first driver of this war that ends up happening. And then it was the dispatching of British forces, military, to Massachusetts in droves with the military dictator, General Gage. And then it was the, the turning of Boston into a garrison city. That's not my description. That's the description of the Founding Fathers, as you can recall from previous episodes directly from the letters. And then this is the final piece of the puzzle, the cutting off of arms, powder, and ammunition from the colonists, the attempt to do so. Once he did this, with everything else that was already set in motion, war is inevitable. There's no going back now. A war is going to happen. The people in the in the colonies, they, I think some of them know it. I think some of them are still hoping for reconciliation. We're going to read about that in letters to come, that there were still, almost all the way up until the end, there were people hoping for reconciliation. Even after the war started, to be quite frank with you, there were people still hoping for reconciliation, even after the war started. That's how, that's how peaceable the American colonists were. They tried so hard to be at peace with that tyrant, lunatic, drunk-on-power dictator, King George III. But he wasn't having it. He was an ideological, drunk-on-power lunatic who was going to stop at nothing to murder his own people if he had to in order to secure his power, his stranglehold over the American colonists so that he could micromanage and dictate every little thing that happened over there. And he could suck all of the freedoms and liberties out of the colonies, put it into a big pile, and burn it until there was nothing left. And the Founding Fathers, with the Founding Fathers, it was petition after petition after petition, hiding their guns and powder in the frickin' woods, trying to keep it out of the clutches of the king. Because this wasn't the first time that we've heard about this. Remember the 4,000 Patriots situation? Quote, The lieutenant governor who was obliged to resign his commission as counselor at his house in Cambridge, being surrounded with 4,000 people, end quote. What was that all about? Quote, The people assembled at Cambridge were landholders, led by captains of the towns, representatives, committeemen, the selectmen, and committee of correspondence for the t this town, went from hence to confer with them and prevent things from coming to extremities. For a rumor had been propagated that the whole country... Incensed at the governor's taking the provincial powder by a party of soldiers from Charlestown, and inflamed by false reports, were coming to Boston to demand the restitution of the powder in the face of the army. Happily, this did not prove true, end quote. It was a false alarm. But there was a, a rumor that got started because the king's soldiers went out and, without much notice to the people, by the way, and they, they removed some powder. That was rightfully, you know, the king's property, from what I understand. But the, the rumor had gotten twisted that the king didn't just do that. He was also in the process of seizing the people's powder and the people's ammunition, which didn't happen. And 4,000 people turned out to make sure that it didn't happen. This is how wars get started, ladies and gentlemen. This taking of arms and ammunition from the people. Is that clear at this point? 
Because why on earth would you do something like that unless you plan to declare war on them at some point? Why would you do it? I mean, I'm sure the king had his reasons. I'm sure the king would suggest that he was doing it to maintain some defense of the colonies, a.k.a., you know, the defense of Boston from rabble-rousers, whatever, what have you. When was the last time the rabble-rousers did anything? Last I checked, they dumped some tea into a harbor, and there was a, there was a few other things, well, a few, a few other goings-on, but nothing major. Things were largely under control. What the heck was the king trying to protect against? The answer is he wasn't trying to protect against anything except a challenge to his tyrannical authority and his abuse of the people's rights. It's the only thing he was trying to defend. And you wonder why the Founding Fathers wrote the Bill of Rights. And we've talked a little bit about that in recent, uh, recent weeks and recent months. You know, the Founding Fathers wrote the Bill of Rights up because of this exact scenario. They had just gone through this. They had just gone through this situation where they're minding their own business, and then one day, it all kicks off. A war gets started, tens of thousands of people die, brutal conditions, and they didn't want to see that kind of thing happen. So they wanted to make sure they wrote these rights down so that the people could be protected against a tyrant king, despot, dictator, etc. And those, you know, there's a lot more rights that exist for the people than are articulated in the Bill of Rights. And that's made clear in the Ninth Amendment, the Tenth Amendment, and so on and so forth. Those aren't the only rights that the people have. But each one of those is so important, it had to be written down. In other words, what I'm saying to you is, is that every single one of the rights that are contained in the Bill of Rights, the eight of them that are articulated there, because there's only eight, really, and the, the other two are about um, an explanation as to why other rights aren't contained therein, so on and so forth, the states, etc. We'll get to that. But the Founding Fathers felt like there were some rights that are so crucially important and undeniable, they have to be written specifically down so that there is no ambiguity, zero so that even the dumbest people on the planet could understand that those are rights that the people cannot, cannot be separated from. And here we, here we are in 2022, and believe it or not, there are people who don't understand that. And I'm telling you, and I don't, I don't know, honestly, sometimes I wonder whether it's willful ignorance or whether the Founding Fathers just didn't quite fully understand how stupid people can be. But, re, but whatever the case... The willful ignorance or complete lack of any intelligence, not even two brain cells to rub together, is a dangerous situation because you end up set it, you end up risking the setting up of this kind of situation like what we have in 1774 developing here. This, again, this is not, this is not fake history. This is not mythology. This isn't some parable from ancient Greece. This isn't Homer writing up some fictitious account of some random event that maybe, maybe or maybe not happened in the history of the world thousands of years ago. This is real. And on the timeline, it practically happened yesterday. It was so recent. If the history of civilization goes back 10,000 years, this was practically yesterday. And I want, if, if you take one thing away from this episode, absorb that. Everything that the king is doing here. All of these orders coming out of the Court of St. James and the Privy Council, directly from King George III himself. What in the world is this man up to? He's busy turning himself into an Ivan the Terrible, and he's turning the British military into the Oprichniki, or some small version of Der Fuhrer from the 1930s, and turning the British military, in some cases, into the Einsatzgruben. 
And some people might object to that. Oh my gosh, Roman, oh, you've crossed the line now. Oh my gosh, how dare you? How dare you compare the British military to what the Germans did in World War II? Oh my gosh, the extermination camps were so much worse than anything the Americans ever encountered. You have crossed the line in comparing the American Revolution to that terrible event in history. Oh, really? We've talked about it briefly, but do you, do you know about the prison ships that the British used? Do you know about the prison ships? Because there is a monument in New York to the victims of the prison ships. And there are, there are historical accounts and descriptions of what transpired on those prison ships. And I am telling you, based on everything that I have read, and we're going to get into it a little bit later on the podcast, and actually, I think on my Patreon podcast, I actually did read a little bit of what happened on the prison ships. And it reads like something out of Auschwitz in the 1940s, or worse. This is what governments are capable of doing to their own people. This is what King George III was at the end of the day. He was that kind of man. If you can even call him a man, or better still, some kind of creature from the furthest reaches of Hades. And it is amazing how quickly a scene of peace and tranquility in New York can be turned into a horror show like out of the Holocaust in the 1940s. And to all the people all around the world, I'm going to say this one more time, loud and proud. Whether you live in Taiwan, or whether you live in Ukraine, or whether you live in Poland, or Germany, or France, or Britain, or Canada, or Australia, or the United Frickin' States, it can happen to you as quickly as it happened to the American colonists in 1775. It can happen just that quick. And I know that between Netflix, Disneyland, and a couple of other things, it doesn't seem like it can happen. Believe me, the Americans in 1774 and 75 didn't think it could happen to them either. A great many of them. Some of them did. Some of them were very aware of it. And some of them were preparing for it. But a great many of them didn't have a frickin' clue the nightmare that was about to descend upon them. And by 1775, when King George III issues his order to restrict the access of gunpowder and ammunition to the American colonists, it was all set in motion and it was inevitable. It was going to happen. There isn't a force on earth that could have stopped it. And why am I dwelling on this so much? Why am I so passionate about Thomas Cushing's letter to Benjamin Franklin and this letter from out of the court of St. James? Why? And the answer is because people died. These were Americans who didn't have to die. British subjects who didn't have to die. Mostly farmers and townsfolk who wanted nothing more from their life than to go out into the field and tend to their crops like John Adams. That man wanted nothing more than to work in his law practice, tend to his crops on his farm, raise his kids, and spend his time in peace with his wife Abigail Adams. And then look what happened. And how many died? How many of his friends died? And today, because of what happened, many of those people who died, American veterans, veterans of a war that we try to remember on Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Some of them regular soldiers who signed papers in Washington's army, and some of them just regular militia who grabbed a rifle off of their wall and just walked out and marched with other fellow citizens and walked straight into a British column. And they got shot and killed, and they never made it back. They never made it back to their family. Do you want that to happen again? Do the people in Taiwan want that to happen? Tomorrow? Next week? Next month? Do the people in Europe want that to happen? Again. For the millionth time. They've been through this before. But somehow, always forget. I mean, the story of Europe is, is the story of a group of people who can't even remember what they had for breakfast yesterday. 
I'm exaggerating slightly. And if you if you live in Europe and you listen to this podcast, I don't mean to offend you. I don't mean to insult you. I'm just telling you the truth. And if you live in Europe today and you're a student of history, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. How many times has this happened to you? How many times, not you personally, but how many times has this happened to your people? Over and over and over again. Without end. It seems to just always happen to you. And it will happen again and again and again over the next 5,000 years. It's not going to end. There's never going to be an end to it. Unless you are very diligent and you keep a watch over this thing nonstop, 24-7, all the time. And you read this history and you understand it. And you got to see it coming a mile down the road. And the only way you see it coming a mile down the road is if you see how it happened before. If you understand how these things get set in motion. And the Founding Fathers have on display here before us a fantastic example. And they paid the price in blood, sweat, and tears with the lives of their very children, their wives, their husbands, their brothers, their sons. Dead. Piles of bodies stacked high. They paid the price for this lesson. We don't have to pay that price again. It's already been paid, but we will pay the price again. Somebody, somewhere, is going to pay the price for this because they're not studying this history and they can't see it coming a mile down the road. Nobody wants this kind of thing to happen. Nobody wants another tyrant to do what uh, happened in Germany in the 1930s and 40s, what happened with Ivan the Terrible hundreds of years ago, hundreds of years ago, or more recently in China, or frankly, what is still yet to come in China. Because it ain't over yet, ladies and gentlemen. Not even close. And quite frankly, I'm going to be very blunt. It was stupid Americans in the 1990s thinking it was all over that got us to exactly where we are today. As soon as that Cold War ended, all of a sudden, the blinders came on in a big way. I told you this was going to be a dark episode. You know, King George III has a way of bringing it out in me. You know, King George III is a fantastic example in everything that I hate, despise, in the leader of a nation or a country. I mean, he is it, in a nutshell. He's not the worst tyrant to ever walk the face of the earth. He really isn't. There have been worse, and there will be even worse yet to come. Mark my words, it ain't over yet, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, my biggest fear is that we haven't even seen the worst of it yet. The hope was is that we saw the worst of it in World War II. Didn't take very long before we realized that wasn't the case. And it's probably going to get worse yet. But King George III just brings it out of me. This guy is just a terrible, terrible human being. I mean, 250 years later, I am still feeling it, ladies and gentlemen. Do you feel it in your soul? How much you despise this man? I don't know whether it's limited to us students of history because we're so connected to it. It's a part of our spirit. It's a part of our soul. It's deep down in the bones in places you can't get to. It lives with us. It walks with us everywhere we go. Or whether it also exists in people who are not students of history per se, but just have a passing interest in history, who listen to this podcast. If you're not a student of history, and you, but you just have a real interest in this particular time period, or you're starting down the road of becoming a student of history, leave a review on the podcast, not because I'm fishing for reviews, I don't, I don't care about that crap, but because I want to know, do you feel this in your soul, in your spirit? Can you feel the pain of these people from 250 years ago struggling against this almost unstoppable force that was the British military, King George III and his tyrannical ways? Because I can feel it. And I don't know why that is exactly, but I can. I always have. And that's why I'm passionate about this material. And that's why I dwell on it. I'm trying to, you know, the, these lessons, 
you know, like I said, that that statement, history repeats itself, is it's not just a statement, it's a curse. It's a warning from history. The person who probably said that first, honestly, I'm sure there's somebody, like I've said it before, somebody is probably attached to that particular quote, but I'm convinced that that quote goes back 5,000 years. And we don't really know who first said it. We have no idea. Whoever it was that first said it was probably trying to warn everybody who came after them. You know, it's like the ancient Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. Something similar to that. It's not just a statement. There's, 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 there's power behind it. And intelligent people will, will hear that warning and grab a hold of it and say, not on my watch. When it comes to this terrible stuff that happened in history, never again. Never again. And that's why I say things like the Bill of Rights are sacred. You don't touch that. And why I get so frustrated when people, especially in the United States, attack the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. Who in their right mind would do something like that? Dangerous people. Dangerous. Dangerous people who have no concept what people have gone through to get to the point where they have that right. Millions and millions of people died for thousands of years to be able to get to the point where we have a First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America, and here we are in the United States just crapping it all away. We might as well just find the graves of all of those millions of people who died trying to get to this point and just urinate all over the graves. Arlington National Cemetery would be a good start, if that's how you feel. If you feel like the First Amendment is really just uh, something that can be torn up and shredded and sullied and watered down, just go down to Arlington National Cemetery, start, start urinating on the graves. That would be the only thing a little bit more insulting than what you're doing by attacking the First Amendment. And I'm dead serious. People died. It's not trivial. It's not something to be forgotten. Never forget how we got here. Ever. 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 Don't ever forget how we got here and how many had to die. This wasn't easy, folks. This was not easy. Nothing was handed to us on a silver platter. I know some people like to make it sound that way. Oh my gosh, these Americans, it was all handed to them on a silver platter. Uh-huh. Really? Have you counted the bodies? Have you measured the blood? Have you heard the stories? Thomas Cushing and Benjamin Franklin, they have a message for us. All of the Founding Fathers, the people of Rhode Island, who were, I mean, had the unfortunate task of having to hide their gunpowder, their cannons, and their other military stores from their own king and from their own military. They have a message for you. Can you hear it? And part of the reason also, you know, this is very clear in everything that I usually say. Part of the reason why I'm so passionate is I cannot stand the thought of these people dying in vain for no reason. Just to see their memory 250 years later fall silent on deaf ears, drowned out by the sound of Netflix and Disneyland. So I will have a few concluding remarks in the next section. Let's do that right now. Well, that's a heck of a message, you know, and it goes to show you, you know, this, this kind of further reinforces that whole, you know, what's what's the intention behind the Bill of Rights? Why why were those documents put in place? Why were, or why was those amendments put in there in the first place? Because it wasn't in the original Constitution, obviously. It took a few years for them to get that in there, and it was really only at the behest of a lot of a lot of people demanding that it be done. Because people remember, this was fresh on everybody's memory, the, the people who died, the people who fought in the war, the struggle that went that went uh, through through America at this time. The Bill of Rights is really the message the Founding Fathers have to us. Don't forget. Do not forget what we, what we, what we had to go through. It's not easy to amend the Constitution of the United States. It really isn't. We're going to talk about that, the process, specifically when we get into the um, Constitution part of this podcast in depth. 
But it's not an easy thing to do. But they 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 got eight actually ten amendments through right out of the gate practically. There were actually twelve of them proposed, as I've mentioned that before. Ten of them made it through. But so important, you know, and King George III and his actions, as we describe on this episode of the podcast, really do add an exclamation mark to that commentary that we've had on the on the uh, on the Bill of Rights. And I just can't help noticing these things that King George III does and getting very, you know, frustrated at anything that even slightly resembles the kinds of things that that man did, because he unleashed such a terror on the American colonies that it, it reverberates in my mind still to this day, 250 years later. Why do people put up with tyranny? I, I see it in I see it in various parts of the world. You know, I see people just put up with tyranny and just let it happen slowly. And it always starts slowly. It's almost never happens in one sudden motion. It's always this kind of slow drips and drabs, and, and it, it just eventually culminates in one decisive action that is an undeniable act of tyranny. And then it just it spirals out of control real fast. Uh, it just it just goes on from there. Why do people tolerate this stuff? You ever, you ever wonder that? And why didn't the Founding Fathers tolerate it? Do you notice how the Founding Fathers at no point do they actually just kind of tolerate it? I mean, even before we started this podcast, 1774 to 75, you go all the way back to the Stamp Act and things like it, they weren't tolerating any of this crap. They were just consistently standing up against it. And it's amazing that King George III was so brazen as to mess with these people. And here, there's another lesson in this for everybody. If King George III, the tyrant himself, was willing to stand up to these people, the Founding Fathers, do you think that any tyrant is going to not contemplate standing up to you and taking you on? Because quite frankly, compared to the Founding Fathers, most people in the world are small potatoes. That might offend some people. They might say, oh, no, Roman, I, so don't say that about people in the world. I said, well, you know what? It, I take a look at the world today, and I, what, I, what I'm not seeing a lot of is the, the, the Founding Fathers, which is partly why I do this podcast. The, the Founding Fathers weren't taking any of this crap. They were going to fight to the end, and they were going to do whatever they had to. And they, again... They tried for peace all the way up until that final day, until they realized it was never going to work. And the people in Massachusetts realized it first, and then eventually, colony after colony, realized it. This King George III is never, ever going to let go. And the best way to solve this problem is to never let it get started in the first place. You gotta be like the Founding Fathers were, and you gotta fight this stuff from the beginning. Now, at the end of the day... King George III was a very brazen individual, and he felt like he wanted to fight the Founding Fathers anyway. Big mistake on his part. He could have ruined his entire empire doing it. And he, he set the British Empire back quite a bit, doing what he did. Quite a bit. Like I said, do you, uh, for all those people listening around the world, do you think some tyrant is going to think twice about taking you on? If King George III was willing to take on these people, like General Washington, and the people of Lexington and Concord, the people of Boston, Sam Adams of the world? The Abigail Adams of the world. Tyrants are very evil people. I mean, these are some of some of these are the worst human beings the world has ever seen. King George III amongst them. Not the worst amongst them, but he's amongst them. And there are tyrants in the world today. And it's my earnest wish that we could just get rid of them all. Unfortunately, there are just masses and masses of ignorant, foolish people who will back up the tyrant and do all manner of stupid things, including get themselves killed fighting for the tyrant. You know, that nut job up in North Korea, the, 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 one of the tyrants of the world, he's probably one of the worst. That guy is in power today, not necessarily because the, the North Korean people 
want him there, but because, honestly, they just kind of put up with it in the beginning. There's not much they can do about it now. There was something they probably could have done about it in the beginning. But they, they liked the guy. Well, I mean, well, some of them did anyway. He sounded so wonderful. The communists always do, by the way. They sound so wonderful, don't they? They just sound like, they sound like pure as the driven snow. Everything's going to be sweetness and sunshine. Next thing you know, there's one starvation after the next, and people are being murdered and put in concentration camps, or the gulag or whatever. It always kind of ends the same way, yet, you know, year after year, decade after decade, some poor population of people falls victim to the next tyrant. And the United States of America did its best to try to end that god-awful tyranny over there in North Korea. But unfortunately, there were several hundred thousand Chinese who decided that they wanted to keep that tyrant in place over there. And, you know, it really, that's that's why, again, I mention Taiwan occasionally here. You know, people like, you know, King George III and, and modern tyrants that, tyrants that are very similar, you can't give these people an inch. You really can't. If you give them an inch, they'll take a mile, and then some. King George III, though, was very brazen. Very brazen man. Uh, or, again, I, I hesitate to call him a man. He was more like a creature. And believe me, the world is better off without him. I mean, that's that's one of the royals over there in Great Britain that couldn't die fast enough. I mean, if that if he would have been killed in a tragic farming accident when he was a child, the world would probably be a better place today. And there are, there are really few people in the history of Britain I despise more than that guy. And it's be, it's partly because he he created such havoc and 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 started such a such a god awful brutal war. So if you have any thoughts about King George III, about, you know, what he did, the lead-up to the Revolutionary War, and the these orders that came down from the, the Parliament, whether it be the Intolerable Acts, uh, the Parliament, and the King, and the and his council, and all the rest of it, you know, from the Intolerable Acts all the way through to this restriction on gunpowder and ammunition. If you have any thoughts or comments on that, please leave a review on the podcast, let me know. But it, it's just, it, it, it makes my blood boil. It really does. And we gotta stop people like that. As much as possible. There's only so much that we can do. Uh, every every society kind of has to do so, a lot of this work on their own. Uh, like I said before, North Korea, there's only so much the United States could do to stop that thing. And we did a lot. And a lot of Americans died. Don't forget that either, by the way. I try never to forget the Korean War veterans. Those are some brave men. But at the end of the day, there's only so much that uh, somebody from the outside can do. Don't count on anybody from the outside to help you. Not even the United States. If you, if you live in some other part of the world and you think the United States is going to come save you, don't count on that. Taiwan, don't count on it. Best you take the same actions, uh, prepare the same way the Founding Fathers did. Well-regulated militia. But everybody has to defend themselves from their own King George III. Everybody has that responsibility in the world. And, you know, we would do well to listen to the Founding Fathers and do exactly that. Uh, stop these people from, from gaining power in the first place. That's why we have elections in the United States. And that's why the president is limited to four years and two terms. Originally, it wasn't that way. You know, George Washington, I, I forgot to mention this on the po the previous episode of the podcast. We were talking about the, the three unequal branches of government, you know. And I talk about this short leash that the executive branch of government, the central power, as I call it, was put on by the founding fathers. They, gave, they put the executive power on a very short leash as articulated in the Constitution. And George Washington actually helped in that way by setting a precedent of two terms. Partly, I think it was that he just wanted to go back to his farm. I think he was happiest when he was just not anywhere except his farm and just tending to his crop, writing letters about his crops. The man did write plenty of letters about his crops. I've read some of them. They're boring as crap, but they do, they do offer at least a window into what the man preoccupied himself with sometimes. But I think he also did it just to get out of the way, 
to, to limit his access and to let somebody else step in there and lead the country and keep himself on a short leash and to set the precedent that the executive should not stick around for long. The executive periodically needs to just get out of the way and let the uh, American people select somebody different. And that's why still to this day, I despise any American president who ever attempted or actually got more than two terms in office. There's only one president who got more than two terms in office, but there were others that tried and failed, thank goodness. And I hate them all. And I, I mean that word specifically. Some people don't like to use that word hate, but I do. And maybe that's wrong for me to say. Maybe I shouldn't hate them, but I do hate them. I can't help the way I feel in that regard. I absolutely hate them for trying to get more than two terms in office because they broke that precedent set by George Washington. Every one of them was a despicable human being, in my opinion. And some of you know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to, I don't name names on this podcast, but some of you are going to know who I'm talking about, the, the one president who got more than four terms in office. Again, I'm not talking about his politics. I'm not talking about the man personally or anything of the sort. Well, I guess I am personally, but just, I'm not talking about anything other than that attempt to get more than two terms in office. I don't, I'm not talking about his politics. This isn't a partisan argument. This is a this is a procedural argument, if anything, or just a personal values type argument. Following a tradition set by the first president, I think those traditions need to be followed for the most part. When it comes to things like that, how hard is that? Just get out of the way and let somebody else do it. And if you're so power hungry, you can't let go. That says something about you. And that was the problem with King George III. Power hungry, power drunk. And frankly speaking, we need to pay close attention to that because we see it in politicians today. Why is it these people can't seem to leave Washington, D.C.? Even when they leave office, they can't seem to leave Washington, D.C., or more specifically, Northern Virginia. I mean, most of these senators, when they retire, do they go back to the state where they came from? Some of them do, but a lot of them don't. A lot of them just hang around Northern Virginia. Why? Because they can't leave. They can't let go. They can't just let, let, it, let it be. Go back to where you came from. Go back to the place where you can put your hands in the dirt, like John Adams, and tend to your own your own state, your own residence. Nope, gotta stick around Northern Virginia. Gotta stay close to the seat of power. It's the same mindset, really, that King George III had. It's not as bad, obviously. These people aren't tyrants, per se, but it's the same mindset. And if I were if I were anywhere near Washington, D.C., I'd pay very close attention to that. It's like it's like an alcoholic. You know, I mentioned there's a reason why I use the, the term drunk on power. It's because it's ve it's very similar to an alcoholic who just can't put the bottle down. If I were anything, if I were drink, if I had if I were a drinking man and I am not, by the way, if I were a drinking man and I got to the point where I just could I was getting just drunk every night and I just couldn't let it go. That's kind of a red flag, don't you think? That maybe you need to finally put that bottle down and walk away, at least for a while. It's the same thing with the people in Washington, D.C. They're, they're not degenerate alcoholics, drunk on power tyrants like King George III, but for some reason they just can't put the bottle down. Red flags, ladies and gentlemen. Pay close attention to that. It's That's, that's not a good sign of the character of those people. It's not. Some people think it is, but it's not. And that should be painfully obvious. But uh, again, it's not it's not a King George III situation. But you gotta you gotta you gotta you know pull this kind of stuff out by the roots. You really do, because uh, it just grows into something bigger if you don't. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast, and I hope the lesson from King George III and his his inability to just kind of step away from this action that he set in motion 
He couldn't admit that he was wrong in the Intolerable Acts. The Parliament, I think par many people in the Parliament wanted to admit that they were wrong, probably. Certainly, there were many people in Britain that wanted to admit this is a wrong thing to do. But King George III just couldn't do it. And so he escalated and escalated and escalated. And that's the danger in somebody who can't admit that they were wrong, especially somebody in power. If they can't admit that they're wrong, chances are they're just going to escalate, escalate, escalate again and again and again. And that's what King George III did. And he escalated it straight into a shooting war. But I hope you enjoy the lesson that King George III is giving us. However terrible a man, there's a lesson to be learned here. And we have to understand that if we're going to be able to identify that kind of character, if we're going to be able to make sure that doesn't happen again uh, in our respective societies. For those folks listening international to the United States, you know, believe me, this lesson is applicable to you as well. King George III is, it's a lesson to everybody. All 7 billion residents of this planet have something to learn from that, that terrible character. And then they have something to learn from the good character of people like John Adams and Benjamin Franklin and so many others. Uh, good folks. There were some really good folks out there. We got, we got a lot to learn and we're going to continue to learn that on this podcast. And I hope you join me on that adventure into the letters from the founding fathers. This, this one from uh, Mr. Cushing today was particularly interesting to me. We spent a lot of time talking about it because again, it reveals the character of King George III and what he was doing. This man was very intentional. This was not an accident. That's that's what I've been trying to say this entire episode. This was not an accident. This thing that happened on April 19, 1775, not an accident. Some people may try to characterize it that way, but I don't believe that it was. That's my opinion, but I don't believe it was an accident at all. I think it was very deliberate. Now, I did have some reviews I wanted to cover briefly. I like to bring some reviews on the podcast if we have any so we can have a, a discussion around them. This, this episode's going to go pretty long, by the way. I get the feeling this is going to be one of those longer episodes, but you know what? That's okay. I think um, I think some folks enjoy the longer format. Uh, some folks may not, but honestly, it isn't like I'm doing a podcast episode every day. If you want to listen to half the episode one day and the other half of the episode the next day, that's perfectly fine. I don't have a. I obviously don't have a preference in that regard. It's entirely up to you. So this uh, this first review is going to come from uh, a reviewer uh, who goes has an interesting name, Clark Griswold, which I believe is the name of that character from the Vacation movies. He has the same name. It's very fascinating. Uh, social studies teacher. Uh, so anytime I get a comment from a history teacher, social studies teacher, uh, that's that's a that's a good comment to read for sure. And so let's go over this one. Quote, as a middle school social studies teacher, I found this podcast to be a refreshing change. Many podcasts that allege to be history based are more platforms for party planks than they are factual. Despite a few cohorts attempts to right-wing almost every foundational concept, I found in your podcast an interesting and invaluable resource based on primary sources I plan on using your work in my class lesson plans, end quote. Yeah, I, there is definitely, you know, party politics and in, in some in a lot of history podcasts, I think, not well, maybe not a lot, but certainly some, I, I definitely try to keep that out of here. I, the, the way I do that is I try not to ever, ever name names. And I don't ever talk about the, the various sides to the politics in the United States. And if you listen carefully, you'll get the general concept that I don't like any side except the Constitution. The con in my opinion, the Constitution is a side unto itself. And that's the side that I care about. Everything else is just distraction to me. And I don't I don't care about the various formal sides to, to politics in the United States. I just care about are are we following the Constitution or are we not? Do we believe in freedom of speech, the right to assemble, the free press, the right to petition? Do we believe in these things? You know, the right to be free from cruel unusual punishment and all the rest of it. This is all that should matter to us, I think. 
And yeah, I'm not, I, I don't. I definitely don't get into elections and things of that nature. We're not going to talk about any current elections or anything on this podcast. It's not going to happen, you know. So I, I really appreciate that you've taken notice of the partisan-free aspect of this podcast. And it's kind of a hard line to walk with this podcast, especially because it's kind of a political podcast. If you think about it, I mean, it's the Founding Fathers, it's the Constitution, it's the Declaration of Independence. This is what started American politics, so it's really kind of a hard line to walk. So uh, I'm glad somebody appreciates that I do try my very best to walk a fine line. And I have to, sometimes I have to put things in modern context so that you can understand that these lessons are still applicable today. This isn't passe. This isn't you know, 250 years ago, not applicable today. It's everything we talk about from the Founding Fathers is applicable today. Um, So sometimes I put it in a modern context, and I have to kind of do a little dance where I try not to cross a partisan political boundary when I do that. It's, It's very difficult to do, I think, sometimes. Sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. So... Thank you for pointing that out. And, you know, uh, as a social studies teacher, I appreciate any commentary, especially from history teachers, social studies teachers and whatnot, um, especially because it takes us back to that, you know, concept of history being a back burner subject by society. I don't want to say that being a history teacher is a thankless job necessarily, but it's probably close to that in the public school system because I don't think people take it seriously, except the history teacher, of course, and a few history buff students like myself. But uh, society just kind of writes it off, I think, history as a subject, and that's a sad commentary. Uh, A really quality history teacher in a middle school or a high school is a very, very valuable resource. And I was, I was, I was lucky to have, uh, in middle school, I had a fantastic history teacher, uh, had some really odd thoughts about Germany, not, not Germany in the 1930s and 40s, but modern Germany at the time. But other than that, great history teacher, high school, pretty good. Um, Not exactly, nobody who was really, eh, exceptional, but pretty good. Now, in college, on the other, I had uh, a couple of really exceptional history professors. Fantastic. Had a great time in college uh, in history class. So, a big shout out to any history professors, teachers listening. If nobody else thanks you for doing a good job teaching history in in school, I, I definitely thank you for doing so. I'll read one more review, and then we'll have another one to read, at least one more, unless somebody else leaves a review. Uh, We'll have another one to read on the next episode of the podcast. Uh, This one was written by uh, somebody named Joe. I believe that's the latter part of his name, anyway. And I quote, I have searching for a podcast such as this one where I can hear the very words these enlightened men and women scribed. I have never subscribed to any podcast before because most are not substantive enough. It is clear where we are at a point in history where the study of our history is paramount to keeping our republic together. Thank you, Roman, end quote. Um, I appreciate that you're uh, you're grateful for the timing of the podcast and uh, this moment in history. It is a very important moment in history. Honestly, though, at any point in history, whether it's now, yesterday, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it's always very important to study history. But yeah, the, the founding of the United States, I think, is very important now, not just to the, the audience or the uh, the participants in our study group, as I like to call it, here in the United States, but also international to the United States. There are a lot of countries, and I, I do this podcast in part for other countries who want to take this information to the extent they speak English and can understand what I'm saying, but th- so that they can they can take this message from the Founding Fathers as well and use it to understand their own society, their own culture their own interactions between people and government, because there's a lot of countries in the world facing some really challenging times right now, really challenging times. And so you're absolutely right that this is a critical point in history, but again, not just for the United States, also for a lot of people around the world. 
who are facing tyranny like like that which we haven't seen in the United States since the founding of the United States. There's countries that are basically on the doorstep of tyranny, or in fact suffering under a tyranny as we speak. So it's it's very very important to folks around the world too. So thank you for the for the great review there. I I really do appreciate that. And even if you don't leave a review on the podcast, I appreciate those folks who just uh, download the podcast, listen to the podcast, and maybe talk about it with friends, family, uh, associates. That anybody that you might be able to discuss the issues with who might be interested in this kind of material as well, or especially if you share the podcast with somebody so that they can listen to it. Really grateful to you folks who do that because history is not super popular, but you know, I think when I think if people really kind of a, really understand the people behind it, and I think these letters really help with that, I think it helps to understand the people a little bit better. If you understand that these are real people with real families. And that's why I spent uh, some time talking about John Quincy Adams when we were talking about the John Adams letters and Abigail Adams. And then it's really important to know these people had some really interesting families and very real issues to deal with with them. John Adams, you know, being gone a lot at the Congress while his uh, his wife and children were back in Boston and, and also on their farm. And then George Washington, Martha Washington was off kind of by her lonesomes over there on the uh, on their farm as well. And how she would visit him. I think we talked briefly about that before, how she would visit him in the field uh, when he was out being a general, after the war started, of course. Uh, she would actually go out there and visit him out there and spend time with him while he was uh, trying to look after his troops. That's not an easy thing to do uh, for, for, for a woman to, to hold up in a military camp in, in sometimes harsh conditions. I mean, it was, it was very difficult for the men to do that. But she was, a, she was a heck of a woman, that Mrs. Washington. Really brave woman, courageous, a really a great character, I, I think, in history. Along, same with Abigail Adams that way. Just a fantastic, fantastic example uh, for Americans to look to and, and just a, a really sharp, intelligent, super patriotic woman. I mean, just, and, and just brilliant, 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 brilliant. The way she could quote history and, and talk to her husband about that in these letters. These are real people. I mean, just just great examples of a window into their world. And hopefully connecting with that helps people really connect with the history. And maybe maybe not quite as passionate as I am about my absolute dislike and disgust with King George III, but maybe you feel a little bit of that. So, so I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope this gave you something to think about. I hope it gave you a little perspective on King George III and the things that he was doing to set in motion this war that eventually happens, that it was, in my opinion, his fault that this whole thing rolled out, not the Founding Fathers. They tried for peace as hard as they could, but that King George III, always behind the scenes, always trying to rattle, ratchet things up and instigate. Now, this is probably the longest concluding remarks section I've ever recorded. Like I said, King George III just brings it out of me. He gets me thinking about, you know, all the tyrants of the world. In the modern day, in history, all the rest of it, and, and just, I, I marvel at how terrible these people truly are. But anyway, I, I hope you join me on the next episode of this podcast as we continue our march down the road of 1774-75 and our discussions around that. And with all that said, this is Roman signing off. Thank you.